Greetings and welcome back, Church of the Geek listeners. This is an, another episode here on Church of the Geek. Uh, tonight, our friend Sam is not able to be with us. He believes that celebrating his wife's birthday is far more important than this conversation. So tonight it is myself, and actually, for her second appearance on Church of the Geek, <laughs> not that she uh, would have known this ahead of time, but... Uh, uh, is Missy Whitus, and she was in our um, Cultivating Character, Myth and Virtue in Popular Culture, uh, our panel, which was really just the conversation among five people in a room uh, at Theocon 2019. Uh, and so, uh, welcome back. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me back. Yes, well, <laughs> you were such a delightful guest the first time. <laughs> We, I said, how could we not? How could we not? So why don't you, um, this is your Wheel of Fortune moment. Nice. If, yeah, I know that that is not lost on you, not I'm sure. Not lost on me. People of a certain generation. That's absolutely um, right. Yeah. Um, but uh, why don't you uh, t tell us about yourself? Um, let's see. So um, I am a native of northern Kentucky, greater Cincinnati. Um, so lived there most of my life. And then my um, start off life as a band director. And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I know a lot of band directors, like, yeah. woo! Ooh, yeah, and uh, my first job was in the coal mine and hills of eastern Kentucky. Yeah, and uh, that's a, I, that could be a whole other episode. And then um, I actually got cancer at age 23, got ovarian cancer. Oh, at 23? At 23, yeah. Fun, right? And uh, didn't standard have right of passage. Didn't have anything else to do. It was a march band director and a new teacher. And um, back to the coal mine and hills of Eastern Kentucky, I came back from that sick leave, and the principal said, um, "Now we need to talk." And I said, "Why is that?" And he said, "Well, some of the parents think you got sick on purpose because you didn't want to teach your child." <sighs> and I, I remember drinking a diet coke, and I spit it out like all over his desk, and I said, "You mean to tell me?" You think I got cancer on purpose because I didn't want to teach some kid how to play the oboe? Is that what you're telling me? Um, that's how cancer works, I That's heard. how cancer works. I was like, you're right. And uh, so that completely changed my life. And uh, then ended up having to have other surgeries. And I say that to say that um, when I woke up from the cancer surgery, my that was during Talk About Kids of a Generation, um, my best friend at the time was standing there and she said, how do you feel? What are you going to do now? And I said, I'm going to Disney World. <laughs> and um, so actually, as God would have it, I did. I ended up within the next year teaching at a ginormous high school that it was 12 minutes from my apartment to the happiest place on earth. Divine intervention. Wow. Yeah. But it changed everything for me. And I, and I say that because of two reasons. First off, it changed because I... I couldn't live a marching band lifestyle anymore. Yeah. Recovering from cancer. So I went to drama instead because, you know, three shows a year versus marching band yeah. season. Yeah. Whatever. So I did drama and choir. But while I was in Florida, um, still kind of recovering from cancer mentally, spiritually, physically, I um, developed my love of improvisation. Yeah. We talked a little bit about that. Yes, we did. We talked about it because I like Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. And that is really just yeah. another way of doing that. Absolutely. So, so I studied at the SAC Comedy Lab, oh, yeah. which is uh, where Wayne Brady's from. 
let me pick up that name while I drop it. I said, right? <laughs> I, I saw what you did there. <laughs> um, and then actually went on and um, had the opportunity to spend some time studying under Paul Sills, who was one of the co-creators of Second City. Oh. Another name. Let me drop that Yeah, one. yeah. yeah. My, your floor is getting cluttered. Um, <laughs> yeah, so sorry about that. <laughs> see what I can do. That's... I dropped something. And, uh, um, but that changed everything mm. i started it i started it as a way to deal with the cancer yeah and because uh, i was quite honestly in therapy and i was dealing with um what they call ba- basically it's survivor's guilt right right and so the therapist said to me you need to go to a place where it's safe to fail and not come back until you have found that place right so um, the thought process behind that is that every doctor's appointment you go to, we live in this place of, oh, is, are they going to tell me that I, it's come back? Are they going to tell uh, me? Right. right. So right, you've right, got right. to learn that eventually you're going to go to these appointments and it's not going to happen, but you've got to get out of that fear. So um, the woman sitting talking to you would never have gone. I mean, like, this is a different woman. The, the, the previous one would never have gone to an improv class. So the drama teacher at that school where I was the um, choir director in Florida, and um, we did musicals together and stuff, and she said, why don't I make a call and you go take this improv class? She said, if nothing else, it'll help your teaching. I said, sure. Okay, fine. So I go. I sit in the back row. <laughs> nervous as all get out. Um, teacher gets us on stage, puts us in a circle, which is the first move of any improv class. And... <laughs> He says, okay, before we start, I got to tell you, he said, improv is about mistakes. And then he said, and I quote, it's safe to fail here. <laughs> so the heavens opened up. And and did you sit there and look at him and go, did, did she call I, you? Did she call you? <laughs> <laughs> and I never looked back. Yeah. And I, at that year, I actually won a teacher scholarship from Target that year and i was supposed to put it towards grad school and i paid for my improv classes instead i mean which were grad school as far as i was concerned right so that started this whole thing of in and out of what was i going to do with it and how was that going to work um and then throughout the whole rest of the time i have been teaching high school choir and drama and have always taught improv somewhere somehow so Fast forward, long story even longer, um, I end up doing things. I've been a principal at a school. That's another conversation. And um, and then I now teach at University of Cincinnati, where I teach television and screenwriting and um, a little bit of musical theater voice every once in a while for a different program. But um, And then an improv workshop, which we did two semesters ago three semesters ago which wasn't a class but i did i started it off because the musical theater major said hey we don't have improv in our in our curriculum can we just have a couple classes would you work with us and i said sure so we did three or four and maybe three or four kids came and then of course they all got shows and they all had to go do show stuff so i opened it up to any of the any of the other musical theater who weren't in shows and all my kids all my screenwriters and all my I was teaching class on web series and all and all my TV kids and for eight weeks in a row for no credit on a Friday at five I had no less than 40 kids 
Well, constantly. the party doesn't start till 10. That's exactly so. right. That's exactly right. <laughs> so they didn't have anything to do after class, but it changed um, It changed their writing. It changed them. Sure. As, yeah, which leads to how this developed as to what we're talking about today. Yeah. So um, the TV class was already going to do the topic we're talking about today, but then my writers, for screenwriters, um, weren't doing so hot. And so incorporated with the improv workshop with today's topic, and then I was getting, by the time the next semester came along and I knew how to rework everything, I was getting very different scripts. Yeah. Then I got the first. So one. we've you've already dropped it three times now. Yeah. Like the topic, today, the topic today, which is why you're here in Pittsburgh. Yes. Because uh, we are actually surprisingly sitting in the same <laughs> room. Uh, Sam and I live not five miles apart, and we're never in the same room when we record. But nice. Um, so you're here for the it's the Mid Atlantic uh, Pop Culture, Pop Culture Association, Association yes. meeting, right? Mm-hmm. And. You did a you did this you did the same topic in at Theocon but a yes. shorter version mm-hmm. and so now you're doing a the same or a, di- a similar same thing, yeah. same thing same presentation thing. here mm-hmm. which is what what is it uh, the musical episodes of television shows and how to use them as teaching tools and how to teach storytelling through doing them yeah yeah and I'm super thrilled because I'm also doing it at the Southwest Pop Culture and then uh, at the National. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, and that's in Philly this year. Yeah, that's yeah. in Philly, so yeah. I'll be back. So I've been I've been to Pennsylvania three times. Well, that's okay. Point. You know, Pennsylvania's three states. Yeah. You've got you got Philadelphia on the right, Pittsburgh on the left, and Alabama in the middle. <laughs> that's a joke. I don't really mean it, people. That's um, no. So it's um, yeah. Well, good. We're glad you're here um, because uh, we started talking about this, and I. When we were at Theocon and t- talking a little bit about this, the the rules of what a musical episode yes. has. Yeah. Um, so I had to go and I had to go watch a bunch, which I had seen some, but I had to go back and refresh and, right. and see how it goes. So. Well, what's um, interesting is that, that exact idea, is that people have seen them. Right. And then we get a chance to talk about, and then they go, oh, oh, I didn't even realize what I was watching. Right. Like, yeah, I know. That's the best part of this. Yeah. That's the best part. Well, um, so, uh, so first off, let's let's th- when we talk about a musical episode, we're not yes. talking about. I just want to make sure because I I was I was thinking about this as I planned it. Right, you're not talking about shows that are musicals. Like I was thinking, like yeah, there was Smash, uh, Glee, Glee, um, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Cop Rock. <laughs> which was on hold on i have those dates i actually i talk about it i bring them with me okay so cop rock aired from september 26th this was 1990 right good night um that was its premiere september 26 1990 and its last episode was december 26 1990 <laughs> i knew there was not I, I will say of all those shows that i just mentioned uh-huh. i have not watched any of them oh, but nice. you just like no i'm sorry yeah. i i'm sorry i did watch smash my wife and i really we watched that one. I don't. Yeah. Uh, she liked it. It was cool. That's yeah, funny. that one. That one had potential. I, I really did. I, the first season was really good. And the second season just sort of not moved. so good. Yeah. Well, do you know the original plan of Smash? The no. original plan of Smash was that the television show was going to continue until the musical was written, oh, and then that yes. musical right. would go to Broadway. Right. Legit Broadway. It was not like on television. Right. Yeah. It was sort of a workshop in a sense. Exactly. Of, here's the yeah. 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 Mm. Now we should say let's back up to Cop Rock. We should say Cop Rock. 
while a failed experiment was Steven Bochco. Yeah, no, no. And and that's the thing. And he stands by it. Like any interview, it gets brought up, right? And there's always the people who go, hey, can we talk about cop rock? And then there's people who go, hey, let's talk about cop rock. <laughs> and, and he'll go, look, dude, I'm going to stand behind it. it. It didn't work, but we believed in it, and that was that. Hey. You have wait permission to fail. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. The cop rock effect. That's what we'll the, call it. That's right. But yeah, those don't count. So um, because that's that's their intention. And then the other thing that doesn't count are episodes that have music in them. So like the Brady singing to win that silver platter or whatever it was that episode where they're keep oh, right. on keep on. Yeah, that doesn't count. Well, either. and and so the other thing like the. Um, if you looked up musical episodes, if you do that, there's actually a number of articles out there because I was mm-hmm. I did my research, mm-hmm. but they included episodes like The Office where when uh, Andy does the uh, Sweeney Todd, right? And they have, and I was like, that doesn't count. That's not. I put those in a completely different category right. because, like, okay, so like the biggest right right now would be Riverdale. Yes, I heard that that was. Uh, yeah. I haven't watched so that one, Riverdale, but, yeah. which is an interesting concept anyway, but Riverdale. Both seasons have done a musical episode, but because they're in high school, it's the episode where they do the high school musical. Ah, right. Right? Okay. And then they've incorporated the songs in different ways, which is great. I mean, they're being incredibly inventive about it. But but what's really cool about that is that they're doing legit musicals. Right. So the first year they did Carrie. um, which I have directed and was an interest. I like that musical that you're just like, I'm directing Carrie. Like, <laughs> is that, is that the, like the Stephen King Carrie? Yeah. I did not know there was a musical yeah. Carrie. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so I vocal directed that one. And the whole time I'm like, I'm doing Carrie. Like, it's just, it's, that's just weird. And then, um, last season they did Heather's. Oh yeah. Yeah. And because of, and during both times, you know, sales of both of those musicals and the downloads, went crazy right but you got to give it to them because it's it's pumping it into you know it's what i call the hamilton effect it's like bringing people to theater who hadn't been to theater before you know um but i was a choir director during glee oh and and so the amount of students who'd come and go can i be in choir next year i'm like okay let's clean real quick we don't it's not glee like, did, you have homework. We do concerts. Like, we're not going to regionals. That's not like, even a did thing. Did you ever make it to regionals? Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, community. There. So that was one that you watched, right? That was. was yeah. Wow. Okay, so which ones did you watch? So uh, I uh, I watched um, I watched the community one, mm-hmm. uh, regional Christmas or regional holiday <laughs> special or regional holiday program, whatever that was. And then um, Scrubs. Beautiful. Uh, which was awesome yeah missed that show immensely um right. so community scrubs the flash duet uh-huh. uh and then uh because i had stopped really watching it by then uh, buffy once more with feeling right so right okay so let's talk about flash for a second so the flash is has an original song in it yep at the end which was written for the show by the same guys who wrote Dear Evan Hansen and oh. um, Greatest Showman. Huh. Yeah, those guys, Patsy and Paul. Um, is this, the one, right, this is the one that he does right before he proposes, yes. right? Yes. Okay. Yes. But everything else... Hey, spoilers, if you haven't watched the third season of Flash <laughs> yet, I'm which, sorry. Spoil it. Which, by the way, yeah. if they, yes, could, if they yeah. could see me. If they could see uh, Missy, if you could see Missy right now, she is 
wearing her Star Labs t-shirt, which she walked in and I was like, you wear a Star Labs shirt? <laughs> so she's got her Doctor Who backpack. She's got her Edna Mode handbag. And my... It's very classy. Representing so, Kentucky on my... She does hat. have a Kentucky hat on too, so... So there you go. Um, but everything else was a song from something else. So yeah. that's called a jukebox musical. Okay. Okay, so a jukebox musical is a musical made up of songs that have already been recorded where a story, be it good or bad, um, has been weaved into it. So Mamma Mia is a jukebox musical. Right. Um, Moving Out, which was the Billy Joel musical oh, years uh-huh. ago. Um, what's Beautiful, by the Carole King musical that it just actually closed on Broadway that was on for a decade or however long. Um, what's on right now? Ain't Too Proud to Beg. Uh, Jersey Boys. Jersey, Jersey Boys, Boys right. Is, is it? Okay. So... The, so Flash does that because it uses a song from Guys and Dolls. It mm-hmm. uses a song. And, but the thing about that musical is that is Broadway royalty in that musical. So Jesse L. Martin is yes. original cast of Rent. Right. Victor Garber is the first Jesus in Godspell. Really? Okay. Yeah, and he's actually in the movie. Um, Grant Gustin has a degree in musical theater. Huh. And then John Barrowman yeah. is Broadway royalty as well. No. So there we go. I, I will say, watching it again, I actually had better feelings for it the second time, yeah. years removed from the moment. Just, yeah. Yeah. So. And, oh, and the song that um, he and Melissa, ben, whatever her name is, Supergirl, sing together was written by Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, written uh, by Rachel Bloom. Super Friend. Super Friend. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. I was like, that's funny that is super fun right but um yeah so that and that's a different exception to again and um but yeah the rest of them are the one thing that i have to say about musical episodes is that they're not done so many people think that they're done for ratings or that they're done because the cast needed an outlet to sing and dance but these take years well so let's let's put a pin in that card because i have a question I i have some questions about that so let's sure fire away but that's uh, just uh, why they do this. Uh, yes. I'll hold that here for a little bit. Sure, so. sure, sure. But so, um, okay, so we have the jukebox musical, mm-hmm. right? It has pre, you know, pre-written right. stuff, right? But Buffy, that was all original. All original. That was, I was like super impressive. Yeah. Scrubs, all original. Scrubs, guy love, which. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen yeah. the Scrubs musical, it's the penultimate. Like it, it, it does exactly what you want it to do. It was written by a team of people, but one of those people um, who headed up that team was Robert Lopez, who wrote Avenue Q and the Book of Mormon. Oh, and Frozen. You know this little movie. Huh. Um, I don't. What's that? Have movie? you ever heard what? of this? Yeah. Um, I have a nine-year-old daughter. I'm just gonna <laughs> say that. That's my answer to that question. <laughs> so yeah. So he wrote that. So it's textbook. Which is why I use it in my talk, because it does exactly what you want it to do. So what, what do you want it to do? Okay, so here's the meat. And this is where the, the, the storytelling and the teaching comes in. An opening number is supposed to do three things. Three things. Here we go. First thing an opening number should do is tell you where you are. The second thing is tell you the headspace of the people where, when we start. Where are we? Not where we're going to end up, not the moral of the story, but where are we? If we? You dropped us in right here. Where are we? In Riverdale and wherever. And then the third thing is that it will introduce us to all the characters in one way, shape, or form. Now, if so 3A is it will be just the main character by his or herself. 
It might be B, it could be the entire cast, or C, the entire cast minus the main character. If that's the case, then the main character's coming in next to do what is typically called the I want number. Hmm. So um, let's think of um, Little Mermaid. Yeah. Okay. The opening number of Little Mermaid is Fathoms Below. So I'll tell you a tale of the bottomless blue is the opening line. Check. Now we know where we are. Right. And then they go on to tell about the myth of Triton and the mermaids. So we've set up the space mm-hmm. um, and then we see where we are. And then we're introduced to Ariel and her biggest line in that song is, I want to be where the people are. So there we are. Yeah. Yeah. Bell. Bell does um, kind of incorporates both of them. So Bell's opening line is little town. Little town, mm. it's a quiet village, check, right? Her next line is every day, like the one before. So we now know her headspace. And then little town filled with little people waking up to say bonjour, bonjour. And then she introduces you to everyone. To everybody. Yeah. 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 I always I always felt like the opening to, to Beauty and the Beast, that, that opening piece, it was... <laughs> It was operatic almost in a lot of Absolutely. like just all the pieces moving back and forth. Just it's it was so good. Yeah, it was it's really well done. So good, and um, and it goes along with the story spine. Do you know story Once Upon a Time and and every so the story spine is Once Upon a Time, and every day, but one day, because of that, suddenly, <laughs> because of that, until finally, ever since then, and the moral of the story is. So if you go once upon a time, Belle says, little town's a quiet village. Once upon a time in a little town, a quiet village. And then she literally says, every day. (laughs) (laughs) And the next one, right? Right. And what blows me, I use that in class a lot. And what blows students' mind is that part where she says, where she's reading her book. And she says, um... Here's where she meets Prince Charming, but she won't discover that it's him till chapter three. And I always pause it and go, what has Belle just told you? And I'll never forget one time this this girl in class went, she just told us what the movie's about. (laughs) And I was like, yes, hello, 20 year old. As I, I took I took a course in storytelling and and uh, I made some connection and she said that's why they say education is wasted on the youth. <laughs> but so yeah, so then if you go with Scrubs, yeah, right. So the concept, well, Scrubs Royal Pains has a musical episode which I love. Did you ever watch Royal Pains? No. Oh, TV uh, they did right by TBS did that one and then um, Grace, Grace Anatomy and. Those three can get away with doing musical episodes because all three revolve around brain trauma. Right. Yeah. So um, in Scrubs, uh, the girl has fallen in the park, right? So you see that in the opening scene. Yep. Yeah. And and side note, little fun fact trivia, she was an original cast member of Avenue Q. Ah. So, and a puppeteer on Sesame Street. Um, Muppeteer. And so um, so she says, why am I singing? And we later we'll come to find out. Spoiler alert. She has an aneurysm. And yeah. yeah. Um, that I'm not worried about. If you haven't seen Scrubs already, <laughs> well, then it's your fault it got canceled. No. Yeah, um, exactly. Because yeah. you weren't watching it, dude. And um, so anyway, so then 
Elliot and JD have this conversation. Well, you know, the brain is a tricky thing. As they're getting out of the ambulance, they open the door. The music starts. Boom. And Sacred he heart. says, yeah. And he says, hello, I'm Dr. Kelso. Boom. There we go. And he introduces you and he says, delighted that you came. The doctors say you fainted. You don't know what's to blame. Okay, there's two. That's why we're there. Put your mind at ease. There's no ill we can't outsmart. On behalf of all who work here, welcome to Sacred Heart. So he's done all three yeah. in his. And then he goes around and he introduces and JD introduces and Dr. Cox introduces. And then it recaps at the end like it should beautifully. And then it moves on. And what is beautifully done about that one and the Royal Pains one is that any time that the person with the brain trauma is in the scene, they're singing. Yes. But then the split second... They're not. They're not. It's quiet. It, yeah. Normal dialogue. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then in Grey's, um, Callie was in that accident. And so we see her kind of remove herself out of her body and she's singing to herself. And um, the great thing about Grey's, so let's, let's talk about Grey's for a second. Grey's musical is a jukebox musical, but all the songs in the Grey's musical episode are songs that were made famous by being on Grey's Anatomy. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah. <clears throat> I have literally watched one episode of Grey's Anatomy in my entire life, and it was not that one. So, <laughs> well, go watch the musical. The, people no. have a love-hate relationship with the, with the musical. There was not a lot of positive things said about it in the articles. I've, not I so at. much. But then um, when I show it in class, people go, oh, 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 this huh. makes so much more sense now. Um, but yeah, so, um, but at the opening, so she sings to herself. So that's the, the main character by, by herself, yeah. right? And then the whole cast needs to show up. But what happens is, um, as they're waiting on the ambulance to arrive, they pan out and every single doctor in Grace is standing there waiting for the ambulance to arrive because uh, it's one of their own. Yeah. So there you go. It does what an opening number yeah. needs to do and introduces yeah. the whole cast. So, yeah. And then there are certain things throughout, like a duet is a duet is usually either A for an argument or B to get information out as fast as possible. And so, um, in the case of Royal Pains, there's a duet that's beautiful and it it's the two brothers recapping basically their relationship with their dad. Um, in Once Upon a Time, it starts off as a duet. Um, to tell us why they're singing because they're yeah. in a magic spell, which is great. Which, did you ever watch Once Upon a Time? Uh, a few episodes, yeah. So yeah. the musical episode, before it even came out, um, they were doing some marketing and in a very, very brilliant move by Disney, <laughs> they released the songs, but they did them in the style of the old sing-along videos. Oh. Do you remember the Disney yeah. sing-along videos? Yes, very much. Oh my gosh, I loved those things. I must have eight or ten VHSs of them and they did them in the set with this with the storybook opening and the bird mm -hmm. flying by and all the lyrics that you could sing along and that's how they released them oh. and they released like three songs before the musical even came out so yeah and so they didn't necessarily need an opening opening number because um, they already knew we already knew we were in a magic spell yeah. and the musical started after that so um, so it starts off with a Jennifer Goodwin and Josh Dallas duet. So, 
Yeah, I was thinking in Scrubs, there's the duet between uh, Turk and Carla. Mm -hmm. who, it's an argument. It's an argument. <laughs> yes, it is. But, but then Guy Love. Guy Love is not an argument. Not an argument. But what Guy Love does is encompass their entire relationship. It does. Because the the patient is looking at those two like, oh, you two again. And she can't figure them out. Right. And that's why they they do Guy Love. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's the great thing about this is once people start realizing, oh, yeah, there's a lot more to them just singing and dancing. Well, and it's, you know, uh, sometimes, um, right, uh, I mean, you, it's kind of the same thing, even just whether it's writing or this, right? Mm -hmm. there, are set, there are set rules that are in place that you understand what they do so that you can do them. Right. So that even, right, um, I'm trying to remember which, which, uh, I think it was, uh, I had read something, Patrick Rothfuss was writing um, and uh, said, sometimes you just get stuck and you just plow through on, on the form. You know, mm -hmm. you, you get the elements that are there to get it because you got to get it written and it's not your best piece, but it's still good <laughs> because it still works because you know what everything's supposed to do. Right, So right. So all of these things, you can do it, whether it's a half hour episode or it's an hour yeah. long episode. You know what all the parts and pieces exactly are supposed right. to do. And, and Buffy's a great example of that because Buffy um, opens with an overture. Yeah. So it's all instrumental. However, throughout that overture, it's panning and it's showing you every single character. It does. And it establishes yeah. who they are and the status within. And it tells you where Buffy's head is the whole time. And then the first time Buffy sings, it's the I want song. Right. Because she even says, I think her, I want there's a line where she literally uses the words I want, yeah. but they use the overture in order to establish that. Right. And it's, it's done in a very sort of, sort of classic way, like the 50s, 60s television. It's yes. got a curtain that pulls aside, all their faces show up. Yep. Just, you know, big the, sweeping right? pans yeah. of how everybody's involved. And yeah, yeah, it's um, gorgeous. That one was, that one was one that I thought uh, was really well done because of, um, they they tip their hand. Okay. Oh, why are we all singing? Why uh -huh. did everybody break in the song? <laughs> right. Like, and so it already like there's. I have a theory. That's the, one of their numbers, right? right? And they're always they're trying to lay it out as like, okay, let's figure it out. And they go out like they would normally try and figure out and do the research, but they put it now in terms of the of the musical of the piece, canon. right? Yeah. Yeah. So it just um, and actually. Once Upon a Time does the same thing. Okay. Because when they when they first open and do the first duet, um, Josh Dallas's Prince Charming comes in and goes, What? And even and even Snow White goes, Oh, she even has a line where she was like, Oh, I'm singing. Why am I singing? Um, and then they figure it out. And then of course in Flash, they're in a musical. They're, yeah. Which is just a brilliant talk about meta, right? And and they go right. on and say, okay, well, the only way out is because we have to go by the form. We have to do this. Got to got to finish the plot. We gotta have do, to. Got to get through. You got to get through it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So again, it goes back to what you were saying. I, and I, you know, I actually, um, I didn't get a chance to look at it, but so uh, the the animated Batman series mm -hmm. actually mm -hmm. has mm -hmm. the same villain, the musical maestro. The music maestro. Yeah. Same one as in that flash. So I thought that except was... it's a different voice. Because in Flash, it's Darren Chris. Well, I know. And I just... animated, it's my it's my husband, Neil Patrick Harris. 
who also in How I Met Your Mother, yes. was also, they also have a they, have, they yeah. have a musical episode too. Yes, they so. do. Yeah, because when you got that Broadway talent, I yeah, what are you gonna do? I mean, like, you know, what's well, like Smash? You know, the, another yeah. good cast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so are there other? So that's we we had, we just said the opening uh, opening number. Yeah. Or what are there other? Well, you uh, it goes back to knowing the form, right? So yeah. it goes back to opening number and then the I want song and then typically um, an establishing some sort of how are we going to get to the next point which is another reason that that they're done is because you can wrap up a storyline in three and a half minutes in a musical episode that might take you six episodes right right? Um, and then typically a, a production number right so if you think of scrubs it's welcome sacred heart right and then um what's the next one um gonna miss you carla is that or yeah i think it was it was really early on yeah Yeah. and then everything comes down to poo which is which is might be the best that was super fun um oh and then uh the dr cox rant song which was Gilbert and Sullivan. Gilbert and Sullivan. Was exactly right. So a huge good. nod. And the reason they did that is because he had done Gilbert and Sullivan. And so that's a patter song. Yeah. So a lot of so in the form somewhere there's typically a patter song, which is right. Broadway rap, basically. Modern Major General. Exactly. Pick a little talk a little, pick a little talk a little, cheap, cheap, cheap. Yeah. Um and so that's his nod to that. And then you've got the the number right before the intermission, the be our guest moment, right? Mm. Which is um, in Scrubs, when the truth comes out. And it's typically bringing the entire cast back, kind of recapping where we're gonna be because we're gonna go to intermission yeah. and figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Is that the one, so is that, oh, I was gonna say, that's not, try to think of uh, in Buffy. Um, oh, which one is it? Um, well, the duet is, um, Giles is that his name. I'm terrible at names. I know, right? I just her just... her guy and Willow. Oh my gosh! Yeah, the duet where they they figure out what both is going on. I love it. I can't believe I can't think of any. Anyway, they do the duet and then it's the song after that. It's um. Well, there, there were two because there was um, Xander and uh, oh right, Lushing, and they did which, the cause, and it, and that when they laid the the theme for the secrets. Yeah. I oh, but I won't say that. Right. right. Like I won't tell. Yeah, that's right. And then, that's right. Um, sort of contrasted is um, Allison Hannigan's character, who mm-hmm. uh, and and her uh, uh, and her other yeah are uh, you have me under my under your under spell, your spell, which she literally does. Yes. And it it's I I find it interesting those the the first two are getting married. These two are living together, but. Um, they don't know, or the one doesn't know yeah. that. Um, that it's under false pretenses. Yeah, she's yeah. been modifying memories and, mm-hmm. oh. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, the two, I, I thought those two played off nicely with Absolutely. each other. That was Absolutely, a, yeah. And then the the it gets chink, uh, turned when um, Dawn goes, oh, I'm glad you guys made up after fighting. She goes, we didn't fight. Mm-hmm. And boom, off it goes. There we go. You know, yeah. and uh that's what kicks loose finally all everything for the for the um, that particular demon. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that yeah, it's it's great. And so what ha- what was happening was 
I was already going to do a, a lesson with this with my television students. We were just going to spend a, a class talking about them. And um, I was doing screenwriting. And at this point, I'd had two, three passes of, of the whatever section of the script that each student was writing. And they were terrible. They were awful. <laughs> I mean, I remember writing on one student's page, where are we? Like, you haven't even told us where we are. And as I'm grading papers, I kept having three questions. Like my first question was, how'd you get into college? And the second, <laughs> my second question was, how'd you get out of high school? And then my third question was, why is no one getting this? And I thought, well, maybe I'm a sucky teacher. And, and then I thought, we, we don't have this problem in theater. We don't have, the, and I kept saying that over to myself. Like I'd grade a paper and go, we don't have this problem in theater. We don't have this problem. And then I was like, oh, we don't have this problem in theater. And so I start, I took at that moment um, the this musical lesson to my screenwriters. Yeah. And instead of teaching, I, very, I thought a couple of times, I was like, well, I could do Sunday in the Park with George or Les Mis or something like that. And I was like, no, I'll get too much pushback. So I'll do the TV episodes because I knew some of them were binging grays and all that kind of stuff. So did it. And then all of a sudden they were like, oh, oh. <laughs> Oh, you could do that? And I was like, yes, you could do it. And I had one student, I'll never forget, one student said, well, Professor, this is just only in musicals, though, right? I said, what, that this happens at the beginning to, to set all this up? And, and he goes, yeah. And I went, um, okay, sure. And I looked at him and went, two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona, where we lay our scene. <laughs> I was like... So if you're going to argue with Disney, we got to go further back than that, you know, like, because he was like, well, this is only in Disney. Yeah, okay, you're right. So anyway, so then the next semester, I moved it up and did it, and especially in screenwriting, maybe did it class four, hmm. class five. Not an issue after that. Yeah. Because it just, because it really sparks for some kids how this works. My favorite story, and I, I got to share this, my favorite story was I did it in TV and uh, there was a girl who was late all the time, was just engaged but not, you know. And so we do this lesson, and the next class, she comes barreling into class early, like 10 minutes early, hadn't been done all semester, and um, comes up to the podium and goes, you're not going to believe it, you're not going to believe it. I said, well, that you're here early? Yeah, you're right. I said, what's going on? Bravo, you cut me. Well, I know. I'm surprised. I'm shocked and um and she said last night i went with my parents downtown to our broadway series to see matilda and i said oh okay am i supposed to be shocked yet and she was like well they've had broadway series tickets forever they've always taken my sister and me i've never wanted to go ever i gripe every single time and she goes but last night i said nope i'm going and i said okay and she said so I went and she had this look on her face and I said, to try and prove me wrong? And she said, yep, that was my goal. And I said, okay. And she said, but, and the car on the way down, I said, all right, here's what's gonna happen in the opening number. Here's what we're looking for after that. Here's how it's all gonna happen. And, um, and she said, so we sat there and she goes, and they opened the curtain and it happened. And I said, uh-huh, am I supposed to be shocked yet? And she said, she was like, it happened. And I turned to my parents and went, okay, now we know where we are. Okay, now we got to meet everybody. And she said, so, I got so into it, Professor. She said that there were these two people behind us who were talking constantly. And she said, I turned around and said, excuse me, do you mind? We're trying to watch the show. 
And she said, <laughs> and she said, and then at intermission, I went and found um, an usher and asked if my family and I could be moved because the people behind us were so rude. And she said, my parents were absolutely dumbfounded. And she said, so in the car on the way back, we were recapping everything that happened. And I said to them, as I'm going off to bed, when's the next one? <laughs> <laughs> she said, my dad about fell out of his chair. <laughs> and I said, you're welcome. <laughs> that That's great. Isn't that great? That is really good. Yeah, it changed everything. I, there's, I thought you were going to say, and I ruined musicals for my parents forever. <laughs> but well, That's the problem. Yeah. Like I get that in my TV class a lot. At the end of the semester, a lot of their essays say, my friends won't let me watch TV with them anymore. Because, you know, we've either broken down the comedy laws or we've talked right. about will-they-won't-they they scenarios or, you know, how a cliffhanger works or, you know. All are, there, are there any places where they any, – any places that have skillfully subverted the rules that you can think of? No. No. I, I'm just curious because no. sometimes – Right, so I used to um, I used to manage a camera store mm -hmm. and had gone through sales seminars. Right, and they're like, "Here are the rules. Right, the, this is how you do sales. This is what you do, and we teach you all these so you know when you can bend them." That's exactly right. Right, right. And how do they? Yeah. You know, uh, when do you depart from these? Right. Um, right. There are ways you can do that, and what you know, but um, so I was just curious. Yeah. No, I mean, like, the quintessential is Fiddler. Fiddler's the best opening number of all time, right? And he says, Tevye comes out by himself yeah. and tells you that in their little village of Anatevka, so there's two, right? He says that we have our certain types. Um, and that's when people go, the mama, the mama, and they sing the mama, the papa, the son, the daughter, and he introduces the rabbi and Yinta and all that, and the Russians. Hmm. Right, yeah. so he's already introducing who their foe is in yeah. it, and tradition, which is the theme, yeah. which is what it's all done. And so, Fiddler Forum, funny thing happened on the way to the forum, same thing. Um, and it, but you know, I say that to say one of them is, you know, 1960, and the other one is 19 whenever Sondheim wrote. This is embarrassing. I don't know that one, but so, yes. Forum, but and exact same rules. Yeah. Right. Exact same rules. Well, you already you already alluded to even the Shakespeare, right? Yeah. The and Shakespeare. Yeah. Fair Verona, where we that. Yeah. In fair, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So let's go back now. Let's take that pin out, right? Okay. So, um, why do we why do we do why do we do these musical episodes, right? I mean, uh, again, a couple of the articles I read: gimmick, okay, uh, ratings ploy, okay. Um, I suspect that. You are on the third. That it is a particular way to tell a narrative. Yes. So yes. what? And you already—I mean, you already did say that you can do, you can do more narrative in a shorter space. Absolutely. Right with the with the musical. Mm -hmm. And but. my thing about gimmick and ratings is, <laughs> I always say to people, how in the world would they have known three years prior that they would need a ratings boost? Because some of these have been written. You know, like Grays was talking about doing a musical within year two. Um, Flash was talking about doing a musical because a lot of it has to deal with who's in the cast. Right. So when your lead has a degree in musical theater, Josh Dallas, um, Prince Charming from Once Upon a Time, musical theater guy, 
Um, plus, I mean, in Flash, when you got Jesse L. Martin and Victor Garber and John Berriman, why in the world wouldn't you do a musical episode? But you can't just write it. You don't go on a writer's retreat like at the beginning of the season and then go, okay, eight weeks from now we'll do a musical. No, it takes years. And and that's the thing. So the, like the Once Upon a Time guys had to, once they finally signed off that they were going to do it, in fact, they, they submitted that they could do it because they were fans of the show. I mean, it was years, a year, two years, something like that, yeah. that they wrote it. But they, but as far as writers are concerned in the writers' room, they're going to have to know where they are by the time that musical comes, so that the guys who are writing the guys and gals who are writing the musical can get there. Well, and so that's where Buffy speaks, right? Because right. Uh, end of season five, Buffy dies. Yep. Again. And then the beginning yeah. of <laughs> yes, yeah. Let's throw that in. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that time two, mm-hmm. the beginning of season six, uh, Willow brings her back. Right. Uh, from that, of course, they think they brought her back from some hellscape. Right. And they bring her back from heaven. Right. Which, right. of course, at the end of, which is where, which is where that it that covers a whole episode. It's it bookends it. Right. Yes. She's it's why it's her I want it's thing. It's her I want. And it's at the end. It's left everybody. It's almost like you're you're heading in your intermission because you don't there, yeah. there's no resolution in a sense. Absolutely. I mean the demon has been sent away but only because yeah. he was amused by what got unleashed and right. he was entertained. Exactly. So, exactly. But but telling a story, uh-huh. telling a narrative, right, right, is in a particular way you can do things yeah. in the musical that you can't. Yeah, and once upon a time there are loose ends that are absolutely tied up by doing the musical that you find out who's been after who you find out who actually did some stuff to begin with now granted did they make did they write that in so that that actually happened to fulfill the musical destiny sure but right they did have some control it's not like they were right. oh what are we gonna do now right oh, we can guide everything to that we point can guide so, everything to yeah. that point that's exactly right and in royal pains for example it's i think it's the next to last of the entire series so it wrapped up a whole lot of loose ends and got you to where you needed to be so that it can end the next one. Right. Yeah. Because I'm, I, I'm, I'm, uh, as a pastor, I'm very clued into narrative, mm-hmm. right? Um, right. We, even though like uh, Paul writes epistles, right? There is an underlying narrative that's going on there. Yes. Uh, that. Often we have to sort of infer, right? But just because it's like one side of a phone call you're listening right. to, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. When Paul know. goes, and by the way, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like wait, what was I heard this? I, yeah, wait, that's going on. I know, yeah, exactly, uh, right. Exactly. So there's that. Um, you know, even uh, even in uh, um, the Gospels, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Gospel of John is a is a whole mishmash. That's just not what you expect after reading the other three. And so, like, what's that narrative? Right. There are underlying narratives in all of those, right. and that the form matters. Absolutely. Whether it's an epistle, whether it's a mm-hmm. whether it's a gospel. Well, actually, uh, students here uh, at the campus ministry we're talking about um, a, uh, Revelation, so and it's apocalypse. And there's I, there's like four narratives, but I mean, there's right. one yeah. really important narrative. Right. Like, what does that mean, and how does that? So. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I do think, again, after, after watching it, thinking about this, like, it yeah. wasn't just, oh, we're going to do this because it's, it's right. fun. <laughs> exactly. There's, 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 there's a lot of ways. Absolutely. I, one of the best seminars I ever sat in on was reading 
um, the books of the Bible in the genre in which they were intended. Yeah. And it like if you read Daniel as an action adventure, mm. or read Genesis as a science book, or read Song of Solomon as a romance novel, right? I think Esther's the best story ever. Yeah, I mean, like you want to go Once Upon a Time and Every Day and yeah. Esther. Yeah, it, it it feels the most liter like story. Yeah, I know. mean, you could do and little did he know, or it was about this time that you know, like that whole thing that happens all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> it was about this time makes me that's a Duke boy. Like I was like, <laughs> it was about this time that the Duke boys decided oh, to show God. Boss Hog. So all right, so this is one of the things I was like, I, as I was sitting here, going, I wonder what, what I wanted to ask you, what. What what series do you wish did um, a, musical? a musical number that never got to right like right. I was saying like right ah pretty floral bonnet um, <laughs> <laughs> that would be the musical number it yeah. might have saved Firefly it might have it might have I don't think so I think no. Fox had it oh, no but. um that's interesting well okay so I think. One of the predecessors to this, two of the predecessors to this in the 80s were two, were Moonlighting yeah. and Family Ties. And here's how. So let's go back. Family Ties single-handedly changed how we use music in a television show because of that Billy Vera and the Beaters number. Yes. What, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. right. When he's like Ellen left him, and and the whole nation is crying because Alex does. Except me, I was like, Yay! If I can't date Alex P. Keaton, nobody can. <laughs> <laughs> and but the next morning, radio DJs are the phones are blowing up yeah. on what was that song that we heard, right? Which then led to I think the greatest television soundtrack of all time, which was Miami Vice. Oh yeah. Right? John Hammer. John Hammer. And not to mention Glenn Fry. Yeah. Phil Collins is on that. Every every time uh, In the Air at Night comes on, I <laughs> I remember the I remember the, the commercial from Miami Vice. Oh yeah. The oh yeah race you know, the sports car going through the streets yeah. of Miami, the night and the th oh And the thing is, when they played that in the show, they played it in its entirety. They did. And the guys That's didn't right. even talk. Yeah. Like it was just Miami at night. Don Johnson in his white jacket and Philip Michael Thomas driving the car. Like that was it. And it changed everything because before that, all we had were things like the, the Brady singing on the singing competition right. or the Waltons singing at church, which there you go. I, they, they could have done a musical episode. The That's Walt right. The yeah, Waltons absolutely. Could have. Yeah. Um, but that kind of thing, like, you know, Dallas never could have done a musical episode. Well, it just would have been a dream. It would have been a dream. and you know. We had to roll it all back. <laughs> so then that changed how we saw music. Well, then Moonlighting came along, mm. which is I, I, I take an entire class and we teach moonlight, I teach Moonlighting for its utmost importance for a thousand things, um, which is a whole other episode we could do. Um, but they did a dream. They did two episodes where Maddie was dreaming and they were musical numbers. So they did. No, I don't remember that. But they okay. did one where they did "Big Man on Mulberry Street," the blue, the Billy Joel song, okay. and they danced. And then they did the black and white episode, where it was two versions. They did. They did one half was her version, one half was his, 
and they sang the whole she was a singer and he was a trumpet player in the and so mm. it was typical it was technically a musical episode yeah but because moonlighting had already been doing music because i think it was second episode in third episode in um bruce willis with hair um sings do wa diddy diddy as she walks down the street he was like yeah. they were going into that and that was another one the next morning djs are going okay so we're gonna we're gonna request for this 1950s song that that bruce sang on moonlighting last night and so that kind of changed that whole brought us to where we are to got to get us here yeah 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 moonlight Ooh, that was a good one. Oh my was... word so much that that show's so important so important to so many things like Will They Won't They started with it's yeah. called the Moonlighting Effect. Yeah. Um, I saw an interview once with the writers of New Girl and when they talked about bringing Jess and Nick together, the moderator of the interview said, um, so did you have any trouble with that? Did you think about the Moonlighting Effect? They're like, yeah, we absolutely had to consider Moonlighting Effect. And they said, oh, we should probably explain Moonlighting Effect, which is when you give your two main characters together and your ratings go down. Yeah. You know, um, it was an hour-long detective comedy, which had never been done before. Right. Um, they broke the fourth wall all the time. Um, also, it changed advertising for television shows. Did it? Yeah. Well, first off, it was filmed like a movie. Right. So it was always constantly over budget. And because of that, <laughs> because of that it wasn't on time. So in TV Guide and in newspapers and on ABC, it would say a new episode of Moonlighting on Tuesday at 9, and then it wouldn't be ready. So they stopped advertising that that was going to happen because it would, I mean, the, AB, the phones at ABC would blow up. When it wasn't new. When it wasn't new, or if it wasn't even on. And so it changed how, tele so there became no more advertising of new episode next week of any show because it was costing money and then fans would go berserk yeah wow yeah well there's that fun little fact that's crazy yeah but yeah moonlighting and and family ties kind of were the bridge between keep on keep on at the brady's to where we are now so yeah all that to answer your question i think of any show that didn't do one i think the waltons could have done one yeah um, because I'm about the ones that that it needs to fit in. Like, I I love the superhero ones where they know what they're in. Yeah. Um, I love the brain stuff. The brain stuff makes sense because of certain forms of uh, brain trauma that allow you to hear music. But past that, I have an issue with them. Mm -hmm. And so I think that show could have done it. Um, what's a modern show that could have? I was thinking Deep Space Nine. Because you could, well, right. So there was the wormhole. There were the prophets in the wormhole. Right. There were, right. And uh, I guess I call it Ferengi fever. And <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, well, on Next Generation, they sang in the holodeck a lot. There was a lot of that. The, the nightclub scenes. Oh, I know. It. I yeah, got but, it. I know uh, who could have done. But Doctor Who, because Tennant sings. Yeah. And Matt Smith sings. And there's no reason that they couldn't have. I mean, it's Doctor Who. It's they Doctor do everything Who. else. They could have done anything. Yeah. Yeah. But put them both in, you know. Like, I, the episode of Tenets, when he goes and meets Shakespeare, I was like, you kidding me? The man never uttered a line except to give him hints. 
And there sits a member of the Royal... <laughs> Tenet's a card-carrying member of the Royal Shakespeare Company. And he never did anything in that. You know, but yeah. There, there we go. That That's who should have okay. done one. All right. 10 and 11 should have done one. Fair enough. And they could have... Then they absolutely could have... Like you said, there would have been no second-guessing. Cool. Well, um... <laughs> This has been a lot of fun. <laughs> Agreed. Thanks for having so, me. I'm glad. So, um, as is our habit, uh, uh-huh. what are you geeking out about right now? Okay. I thought about this, knew you were going to ask, yeah. and here we go. I am back into Top Gear. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I didn't have you pegged for a Top Gear I know. person. I'm but... a Top Gear USA girl. Okay. Um, and I blame Facebook <laughs> because... Four years ago, this past week, um, I was in Vegas watching Tanner Faust race. Okay. Tanner Faust, who's one of the hosts of Top Gear, at a rallycross. It was my first ever car race. It was the finals of rallycross. Oh, okay. He's the king. And um, I had met, I met him and at a signing before the race. And then a month before, I met Rutledge Wood at a car show. So I haven't met Adam Farrar. Um, and so it was showing up that in the memories in Facebook four years ago, and I was like, oh, that's right. That's when I met Dreamy Tan. <laughs> and so I have been going back and watching. Now, that's I teach that one, too, because that is a fabulous example, a prime example of that fine line between allowing your fans a say and still owning your own show. Here's why. So the first year, year and a half of the American Top Gear, they followed the form yeah. almost to the letter of what the British Top Gear did. It wasn't working for them at all. Um, and so they were on the brink of extinction and they looked at their ratings and they looked at their demo and they looked at where the spikes were of what people were watching and what they were watching was the fun narrative of the guys in the car doing what I like to call stealth learning. Right, teaching us about the car as they're looking at the camera on that passenger side or talking on their walkies in between them. And that's what people were fast-forwarding through, like watching to get fast-forwarding to, to, to get, get to it, that. Yeah. And so they said, why don't we just do that? And it, it bought them another two and a half years. How about that? Yeah. I, I've never watched it. I just, you know, oh, I know yeah. there's been a lot of, there was a lot of talk about, you know, UK to US and yeah. how it all, you know, and is that right? Was Matt LeBlanc was Yeah, was now it? and now Matt LeBlanc's the Yeah. And here's what people don't know. And this this came up at some another pop culture conference where I was. They were like, Can I ask you a question? And I was like, Yeah. They were like, Why is Joey Tribbiani the host of and I was like, Here's what they didn't tell you. What they didn't tell you was that when they did Big Star in a little car right where the car the stars would get in and do the lap and they'd have to time them and do the whole yeah. thing matt leblanc's one of the highest um fastest drivers they ever had and they they liked talking to him and he had like a mass amount of car knowledge and that's why they they did it for him and so i'm like yeah i know now it just looks like joey's <laughs> driving cars but that's not it. But yeah, started yeah. having like, I, the, the episode I show in class is one called What Can It Take? And their goal is to get a car and then just destroy it along the way and see how far, what it can do. Yeah. So one of them's got a BMW and one of them's got a 
something else. But um, yeah, and that's a great example because one of the things that we talk about in class is how we do a whole overarching unit of how social media has changed television. And we do a big, we do one on um, shows saved by their fans. Mm. And then how much, then it starts as a conversation of how much ownership after you save it do you have? Yeah. And and what do what are we owed as fans who saved the show? And you know, so we start with Top Gear, and I go, here's a great example of how they saved it, and at the same time still owned it. I'm gonna I'm gonna springboard off of that because sure. something just recently happened, and it's something that I am always geeking out about because between Dungeons and Dragons and Critical mm-hmm. Role, mm-hmm. right? The, uh, the 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 streaming um, show, um, right. the voice actors who do that. Well, they did a Kickstarter. Okay. Um, a little while back to create an animated series, The Legend of Vox Machina. Right? Okay. Uh, or that's their comic book. Anyway, they have a, a Vox Machina, which was their first campaign. They're now in their second campaign. But okay. the first campaign, the party was called Vox Machina. Um, and they did this Kickstarter to create this animated special. First off, it was going to Kickstarter. The plan was, at least uh, they said, to do a, an animated show. Okay. Like one episode. Okay. And then... Next thing you know, right, they hit like $10 million, right? Right. And so then they're like, oh, okay, we'll do a series. And they had a whole bunch of stretch goals and all these sort of things and and all. So, of course, as is want with Kickstarters, Mm -hmm. they don't have a lot of details and logistics like what's gonna happen? So just uh, so this is Wednesday. I think Monday. News comes out that Critical Role has inked a deal with Amazon uh, hmm. to for two seasons on Prime Video okay. uh, of this animated series, right? And there is a portion of the Critical Role community that that lost its mind, yeah. right? And so uh, I, because. Amazon is the evil empire, right? right? Um, right. This is not what the Kickstarter signed on for, right. um, you know. Um, and so the, the the question then is just like, how much ownership right. do they have? Exactly. And, right. And, and right, are the people who are upset upset because they thought they were in on something exclusive, and now schmoes like me who didn't contr- uh, contribute to the Kickstarter are I'm going to get to watch it, right? On it's it was similar to like when um, Instagram went from being an iOS app only to right. Android, and yeah. people were like, "Oh, it's going to Android! Right. It's going to get ruined!" Right? Like, Wait a, come on, I we're know. not that bad, are we? <laughs> right. Us, you know. I so. sat in, and this is this is along the same lines. I sat in on a on a talk recently about Doctor Who fans mm. and the importance of that fandom for that exact reason. Like, how much ownership do the writers take in listening to the fans? And um, then, so when Jodi became the first female, this woman who was sitting in this talk with in, in the audience said that she got offended by, by people going, oh, yay, finally, now I can watch it. And she said, I took offense to that because I've been watching it from the beginning, whether there was a female or not. And she was like, and so she asked this Doctor Who expert, she said, so what do you have to say to people like me who are a little bitter now that she's come along? Mm. And I was like, oh, snap. Yeah. 
And that it does, it comes down, and that was his whole thing, was that how other shows can learn from that perhaps fine line that Doctor Who crosses of reading the fan fiction and knowing that it's there and knowing that, you know, we're going to be carrying our backpacks and we're going to be doing it and at the <laughs> same time doing what they think is best for the canon. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard call. It's a hard call. Yeah, so uh, it's just... I love Critical Role. I, you know, I also, though, the, the same bit, though, is people who complain about it going to Amazon. I mean, we you watch it on Twitch, which is owned by Amazon. Right, right. yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. the, 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 sometimes our, our, our geek worlds get a little myopic. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't know, I don't know how to, I don't know how yeah, to no, that's work right. around with it. I mean, and it's, and it's, uh, I made a comment elsewhere about, um, for our, our friends over Vox Populum, the Vox podcast with Mav, I don't know if you met Mav at, uh, at Theocon. I don't think I'm in there. He and Danny uh, Anderson did a bit I met on, Danny. Yeah, yeah so yeah. he and, and, and Danny uh, did an episode on um, uh, uh, Jordan Peele. Uh, oh, right, right, right. Stuff, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> so Mav um, and, and the crew there were taking some comments on um, fandom and like why, and I, my, for me it was, it came back to my pastoral care class because it was about, in fandom it's stuff that we identify with, yeah. and the more we identify with it, the, the deeper it has, the, yeah. the, the deeper connection it has to us so that it's, it's, it's not just something I enjoy, it's me. Right, right. it's this parasocial relationship yeah. of, of me being able to save my husband Neil Patrick Harris, and then, <laughs> and then I have some very bad news for I, you. <laughs> but so, well, yeah. I mean, along the same lines, yeah. I mean, he's a great example of this in the sense that people go, "Oh my gosh, I love him." He was on Broadway, and I'm like, I had a poster <laughs> of him when I was 12 years old in his Doogie Hauser white medical coat. Shut your mouth. Right? And and that's the Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. There there's a musical episode, but he sang a couple times. He did no. a couple little things, but it was always in somebody's dream or it was, you know. But yeah, but that's the thing. And it, it becomes that myopic, like you said, of, of this whole you know, people are like, I didn't know he could sing. I'm like, shut whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's a hard call. It's really you know, like I took it personally when uh, Arrested Development tanked. Oh. I, 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 after watching, my wife and I one summer just watched it on Netflix. Yeah. And all I could sit there and think was, how in the world did I not watch this when it was on? <laughs> it was so good. So good. And so when Netflix got it, and I was like, all right, y'all better not ruin it. And then they ruined it. Yeah. Um, which, you know, who do you blame? Netflix, Mitch Hurwitz, who do you blame? But it's one of those where I was like, no, no, no. I was sitting in front of my television, appointment television, on a Sunday night watching Fox, waiting for this show. You owe us. We saved you. We saved you the first time, you know. And what do you do? It's it's a real, you know. We talk about when we talk about that. We talk about Chuck. That's the one. Oh yeah. That's the big Mm -hmm. one. And for the first time ever, and I've taught this lesson so many times. The first time ever, I had a kid raise his hand, and he said, "Professor," and I said, "Yeah." He goes, "I helped," and I said, "Excuse me." He goes. I was about 10 and I wanted, or however old they, they would have been at the time, he said, and I loved Chuck and I made my mom contribute. Cause that what they did, one of the things that they did was um, have a heart for Chuck 
And so in the name of Chuck, all the fans um, uh, donated money to the Heart Association. Wow. Yeah. And the other thing was Subway. So Subway was their big sponsor. And so um, they would say, it, I think it was a campaign called Have Lunch with Chuck. And on the day, we'll see Chuck came on on Monday or something. And um, all the Chuck fans were to go to, to a Subway and say, this is for Chuck. So that they got hundreds and hundreds of people a day. Um, and then Subway called and said, yeah, we're on if y'all still want to do the show. So. All right. All right. Well, Missy, thank you thank so you. much uh, for being with us. I'm going to bring you on anytime we need to talk about the mechanics of shows and like what <laughs> in the world is going on. Yes, um, absolutely. Because Give me a call. Uh, this was this was incredibly enlightening. Oh, um, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, and I'll see you at I'll see you at next year's Theocon. Yeah, Theocon. It will actually be here. Yay! Uh, in Pittsburgh. So, do you um, do you have any do you have any outlet that you uh, that you plug? Are you I'm uh, on, on Twitter uh, or anything? Twitter. Or? Um, on Instagram, uh, Facebook. Just and, so, so Missy Whitus. So Missy Whitus on Twitter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then my Instagram is Whitus Snow. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, that's white is snow, yeah. not white as. It, it, it's funny play, but yes, <laughs> yeah. just so you know. Yeah. If w you look up for white as snow, no, yeah. white is snow. White is snow. White is snow. And then um, Facebook is is just Missy Whitus. You can find me. There. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank uh, you for uh, being with us, and um, as always, geek be with you. And then you say, and also with you. Oh, and also with you. There we go. <laughs> I Except did, Sam would say, I, and with the spirit, because he's yes. difficult. That's right. All right. <laughs>